we stand in the presence of God's Word. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. This is the word of the Lord. Rabbi Mordecai Schreiber has written, How frustrated Jeremiah must have been that he spent 40 years doing what he believed God had sent him to do, only to see the Babylonians breach the walls of his beloved city of Jerusalem, to steal everything of value from its temple and its palace, to set fire to both, to burn the hinges, the gates off the hinges, and tumble down the walls of his city. And all he could do was stand there and weep. Forty years. And yet, Rabbi Mordecai Schreiber said, we Jews have chosen to keep those words of Jeremiah because they are so very special. His book is the second longest of all the books in the Hebrew Scriptures, second only to the book of Psalms. Let's take a look again today. Number one, Jeremiah is told to go down to a potter's house and the words literally are these, there he found him at the two stones. We know that these ancient potter's wheels had two stones connected by a vertical axle. The upper stone held the clay, and the lower stone was for treadling, keeping the wheel turning. And I saw in the potter's hand clay, which suddenly was spoiled in his hands. Clay spoiled in the hands. Humankind gone awry. Judah, the United States, the world, Tulsa, every household in some ways or others, every human being in one way or another. This summer, the last of the Harry Potter movies was finally released. I usually read movie reviews in our local Tulsa world. I subscribe to Time and Newsweek, and I read their reviews. I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. I read that reviewer. And then a month later, my religious magazines come, and I compare the reviews written by professors at some of our great universities for their students of art and art sciences. So with the Harry Potter movies... Finally came my Christian Century magazine, and there was a review written by a priest at a Roman Catholic Holy Cross College, and Father Stephen Weinberg had this to say. I liked the last Harry Potter movie, he said. Some of the classic themes are dramatically shown here. The world has grown darker and darker, more and more evil, 
and Harry and his friends are trying to triumph over evil. They are visited, particularly Harry, by his parents who died defending him at the time he was born. He is visited by an old mentor, all of these memories swirling in his head. This Roman Catholic, of course, saw something like the communion of saints, that those who've gone before us, who've loved us, are here with us, struggling with us all the while against the forces of darkness and evil. He said, Harry and his friends discover that the only thing that really works against fear is the power of love. Perfect love casts out fear, the scriptures say. And then he ended his review by saying this, The Harry Potter stories are a fairy tale, very well told. It is a modern-day fairy tale, and in all the great fairy tales, he wrote, children are trying to figure out how to deal with the messes the adults have made. Every new generation struggling with the messes the adults before them have made. And all of us struggling with those messes that have produced us, out of which all of us have come. A clay spoiled in the hands of the potter. Number two, Jeremiah heard the Lord say to him, As the clay is in the potter's hands, so are Israel in my hands. All of Israel in my hands. Now, much darker days are coming. The Babylonians will defeat the people of Judah. They will kill all the sons of the present king. They will gouge out the king's eyes. They will force march the best and the brightest away to Babylon. The worst is yet to come. And yet God says, these people are in my hands. There's a Lutheran pastor in Chicago named the Reverend Brian Hjortdahl. Pastor Hjortdahl wrote that when he went to his church in Chicago, he met a woman who had had two of the worst years anyone could ever have. In less than two years, her husband had died. Her son had been arrested, tried, and convicted on a drug possession charge, sent to prison. Her daughter had then committed suicide. And just before my predecessor left, Brian says, he had told this woman... I want you to praise God, to thank God every day, even when you can think of nothing for which you should be thankful. Now, Brian said that may seem strange, but listen to what's being said here. To thank someone is to think of good this one has done for you. God did not kill her husband. God did not make her son do or sell drugs. God did not will the suicide of her daughter. The other night I was watching the 10 o'clock news and a young woman was being interviewed in the Oklahoma City area. They'd had a terrible grass fire over there. More than 50 homes were destroyed. And tearfully she said right into the camera, I don't know why God wanted to take my house. She missed the point. God didn't take your house. 
God didn't wish 49 other families to be without a house. God didn't wish wildfires to sweep across northeastern Oklahoma City. No, God is the one who wants people to have homes that are cool in the summer and warm in the winter. God is the one who wants people to have enough to eat and drink. God is the one who wants everyone to have a meaningful job, a vocation, wants everyone to make contribution to the society, wants everyone to know himself, herself, a part of the kingdom of God. And so Pastor Hjortdahl wrote, this woman set out to thank God every day, even when she could not think of anything for which she was thanking him, and her life changed. She came to a point she could know joy again. God is not the enemy. God is the one who will be there when all else has failed. God will be there even after the Babylonians do the worst they know how to do to Judah. Number three, we have to turn. Turn, shub in Hebrew. You have to turn, return, come back to that potter who first formed you and breathed into you his own breath. Come back to that one. But turning is hard. I've told you about Dr. Fred Craddock, one of my favorite teachers of preaching. I never had the privilege of sitting in a classroom, but I've been to some of his workshops. He preached for us in Beaumont, Texas many years ago. About that same time, he was a Barton Clinton Gordy presenter here before I came here. Anytime he's been within 100 miles or so of me, I go to hear him. I've read his books. He tells a story. When he retired from Candler School of Theology, our school of theology at Emory University, he and his wife decided they'd had enough of Atlanta after all those years. They both grew up in a little town. They would move to a little town to retire. So he said one morning he was sitting in the car parked at the curb in this little town. His wife was running a few errands. He was just sitting there waiting for her. When he noticed the car next to him, window rolled up, a young woman, late 20s, he guessed, just sobbing into her hands. Now, he said, I've been a seminary professor all these years. I'm really good at this sort of stuff. I was trying to figure out, now, why is she crying? Maybe she has a mother in an Atlanta hospital who's not doing well. Perhaps she's lost someone whom she loves. Perhaps her husband has no job or she has no job. When suddenly, a young man about her age came out of the barber shop, and he was holding a little boy in his arm who had just had a haircut. And he got back to the car and handed this little boy to his mother, and she threw her arms around him and kept kissing him on the head. And then he said, I saw her say something to the daddy. Couldn't tell what it was. And he shook his head, and she nodded hers. And he shook his head, and she nodded hers. And he got out, went back into the barber shop and came back with two blonde locks of hair. <laughs> now, Dr. Craddock says, if you would ask her, do you want this little boy of yours to remain a baby all his life? She would have said, oh, no. But this is my baby. And change is always 
hard. Always. Number four, amend your ways. Amend the way you do things. Reprioritize what's really important and what's not so important. That's what Jeremiah is begging the people of Judah to do. How important is your God? Do you really love this one as the only one with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength? And do you really love most other children of God and see them as children of God? Want peace and goodwill to come to all of them? Before Dr. Craddock was lured away to an endowed chair at our Methodist School of Theology in Atlanta, he taught at Phillips Theological Seminary, Disciples of Christ Seminary, when it was still in Enid, Oklahoma. He was a very young man at the time. And in a book he wrote some time ago, he wrote about a classmate of his named Glenn Adskill. He said when Glenn was graduated from seminary and was ordained, had gotten married to the young woman that he loved, he felt God calling him to China, to be a missionary to China. And his wife agreed to go along and help any way she could. They became missionaries to China. In time, two little ones were born to them. But they were being so successful in China that the Chinese arrested them and then put them under house arrest. They were not to leave without being supervised, guarded at all times. And after some weeks of that, one morning a Chinese officer showed up and said, you must leave China, you must leave China. You can take 200 pounds with you. 200. Weigh carefully. He said he left, and we started discussing. What did we have that was the most valuable things we wanted to take to America? My wife had a vase. She kept saying it didn't weigh very much. It probably wasn't worth a great deal, except to her. She wanted to take that vase. I, as a preacher, love books, but books are really heavy. How many can you take? This was some years ago, typewriter. I use my typewriter almost every day. Typewriters are heavy too. And so we weighed and we weighed and we weighed and finally we had it, exactly 200 pounds. And the officer came back and asked, did you weigh everything? Everything, we said. And he asked, did you weigh the children? And we said, the children? No. And he said, weigh the children. And suddenly, there was no discussion of vases and books and typewriter. It happened. It happened. 